Guys, it's great to be with you. Um, I love you. I love the church. So it's a real joy to be able to open the word with you as we think about the church. So before we get into this, let's, let's pray that God would speak to us this evening. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you write these words upon our hearts and that you open our eyes to your truth. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray. Amen. So far in this letter of 1 Timothy, we have seen that Paul is concerned for First Presbyterian Church Ephesus, and so he is writing to, to Timothy to show him how to protect his flock from some false teachers by fighting the battle well. And if you remember, we that started by talking about how we are to behave as the, as the corporate church in terms of praying, and then we had specific behavior for both men and women. And so what Paul's been talking about is, is putting down good soil for the church to grow. This is the way that Timothy should be directing the corporate gathering so that through that gathering, the people are going to become more and more mature in Christ. And what we get this week is, is a continuation of that general theme in how it relates specifically to leadership. What we see is Paul giving instructions for how the offices of, of overseer or, or elder, those terms are used interchangeably, and deacon, how they're to function to contribute to that purpose of protecting the church from error and making mature disciples. But before we get into the text, let me preface this by saying that, that we aren't here to think about electing new elders or, or even to call out the existing ones. We, we aren't here to actually think about what anyone does at all. We are here to see what God is doing and to be moved to worship of him. So to help us with that, I want to give you a picture to hold in your head or to even draw in your journals there if you like. And that is of the church as a mother. So write that down at the top of your page if it helps. The church as a mother. So you think a mother's responsibility is to, to protect her children and to bring them into maturity, isn't it? And that's what Paul has been talking about in this letter, protecting the flock from false teachers so that they can grow into spiritual maturity. So we want to think tonight about the, the corporate church, the, the institutional church, like a mother, protecting us and bringing us to maturity. Now, that's not my image. It's been used at the church for, for centuries. Cyprian of Carthage said that no one can have God for a father without having the church as a mother. And what that means is that God has given us the church for the, for the development and the instruction of believers. We as individuals are to become part of this corporate entity that God has ordained for our good. So there's no such thing as a, as a lone wolf Christian. We, we need one another. But it also means that, that we don't set the agenda. Christ is the king of his church. He has set up what it is for and how it is to run. And so part of that agenda is, is for us to have this organic, vibrant community, a family where we relate to one another really informally and in our day-to-day -day lives. But there's another part a part that, that is formal, that, that has set ways of acting, is an actual institution. So, 
bear with me. Yes, the, the church is the people, not the building. Yes, the church is all believers and not just the leaders. But the church is, is more than a, just a collection of Christians. It's also this God-given institution with offices and ways of operating. And so in our picture of the church as, as a mother, we have to realize that, that we aren't the mother. We are the kids. And we receive from the mother protection and guidance to bring us into maturity. So, so note that down, or try and remember as we go through this, that although in one sense we are the church, the, the collection of all believers is the church, in another sense that the church is an institution. And that's how we are to think about the church tonight, as the systems that God has put in place for our protection and growth into spiritual maturity. And it is in that sense that we can think of the church as a mother who blesses us. And one of the ways the institution functions, how, how the mother works, is through godly leadership. So this evening we're going to structure our thought around the, this, this mother's role and this mother's care. So a mother's role and a mother's care. And hopefully that will mean that we, that we finish here tonight praising God for the good gift that he has given us in the church. So let's get into the text now and look at a mother's role. Verse 1, look with me here. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now you can underline that first part. Here is a trustworthy saying. Because Paul uses that here and in and other places in Timothy to, to draw our attention to something. If you remember, we already saw it in chapter 1, verse 15, when, when Paul says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. So it kind of functions as a sort of a, a heading. And what we get from that is that the being an overseer or, or an elder is, is a noble task. We could translate that as a good work. And I... That's not just a, a pat on the head for elders. Paul is, is meaning something when he says it's a good work. Here's how he uses the phrase in Titus. In Titus 2, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Titus 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Titus 3, this is a trustworthy saying. There's that phrase again. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Again, in Titus 3, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Paul uses this phrase as what happens to, to Christians in response to being saved. So, so we become his people, and, and then we do what is good. We, we desire the noble task. Our, our transformed disposition is to bring life in response to what God has already done in us. So, so not that we earn our own salvation, but, but as, a, as, a, sorry, as a joyous response to knowing God in our lives. And so for those who desire to be an overseer, who, who desire to lead by serving... That's a good inclination. The, the task of, of blessing God's people, protecting them from error, and bringing them to maturity in Christ is a good work. 
It's not the only good work. It's, it's not a work for, for everyone. But for those called, it's a, it's a good thing to do. It's, it's a fitting response to God's love, to love his people and to help them grow. So note that down, that, that God wants his people brought to maturity. hope you agree being a brain surgeon is a, is a good thing to do. I, I'd personally love to be a brain surgeon, but I doubt that any of you would be willing to just let me, let me have a go, would you? Well, the same is true here. The, the NIV just says, now the overseer is to be in verse 2, but, but the sense here is, is stronger than that. What is being communicated is, is a strong necessity, almost a moral or divinely demanded requirement an elder must be. In order to do his work, just like I would need certain skills or capacities to be a brain surgeon, in order to do his work, an elder must have these qualities. Now, we, we've been over these qualities in a lot of depth quite recently during our election of elders. So we're just going to focus on a couple of things here. Firstly, underline for me in your journals, if you would, the, the first and the last qualification. Okay, So in verse 2, being above reproach, and then in verse 7, that he must have a good reputation with outsiders. So what we get here is, is sort of a, a bracketing off of the qualifications with this sense of integrity. So not that an elder is perfect, but, but it's a sense that you couldn't point to, to one obvious recurring pattern of sin that is controlling him. And that's sort of borne out through all these qualities. Faithful to his wife, the, the phrase here is literally a, a one-woman man. So he's not controlled by his sexual desire. He, he, he's temperate, not controlled by anger. He, he's self-controlled, not controlled by internal sin. And if we were to look at his, his life, we would see that the gospel has, has taken hold of it. He's ordering his household in a, in a way that shows that he's putting God first in the home and acting in a manner worthy of full respect outside of it. Again, that doesn't mean that all elders are perfect, but simply that the, the word is working in their lives and they're not falling into serious and consistent sin. That we can look at their lives and see that Christ is their master, not the enemy. We should be able to look at our elder and say, do you know, I can see that God is in control there. For all their failings, God is in control. Because in order to do this good work, God must be in control of our lives. Not, not the world, the flesh, or the devil. And the reason given for that in verse 7 is so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I heard of an international church once where a man who was part of a, a very specific ethnic group was elected to be an elder. Overnight, the, the rest of the congregation, the rest of the members of that ethnic group just all left the church. When the elders then investigated to see what was happening here, they were told that it was well known in that specific ethnic group that this man was up to no good. Now, whether he was guilty or not, the man's reputation to that community hindered the gospel work. Those inside the church wanted nothing to do with him. Those outside the church who knew the man would certainly not come because they knew his reputation. 
I have family members, I'm sure some of you do too, that have blocked their ears to the gospel because of what they heard from churchmen during the troubles. That isn't how the reputation of an elder is supposed to function. It's not to be a stumbling block because if it is, then they're just not able to do this good work. They will not be able to protect the church from false teaching because they won't be able to recognize it. They won't be able to bring us to maturity because we won't trust them. He must have a good reputation. We have to be able to look at an elder's life and be confident that they are godly and pursuing Christ rather than this world. Elders are to be above reproach. That's, that's elders. Now in verse 8, we move on to the deacons. Now, we, we don't use the term deacon in our system for some reason, but, but literally that word means servant. And if you think to Acts, the, the deacons were elected by the apostles to, to do the important work of caring for the poor and the widows of the church so the apostles could do their work of preaching and praying. So in, in today's language, we, we kind of use committee as that function. So, so if you're on committee, sorry, you don't get the fancy title, but, but you're effectively deacons. And Paul has something to say about how your office functions as part of this mother church protecting and guiding her children. So if you can note there, just like the elders' qualifications were bracketed with, by being above reproach, the deacons' qualifications have a similar bracketing to emphasize being respectable. In verse 8, in the same way, so, so just like the elders have these qualifications that they need to do their work, deacons are to be worthy of respect. And then in verse 13, at the end of this thought about deacons, Paul talks about their excellent standing. They are sincere, they're, they're trustworthy in their speech. They don't get drunk, so they're not going to drop the ball, meaning that they're trustworthy in their actions. They don't pursue dishonest gains, so they are trustworthy in their desires. But they aren't just waiters. They, they, they must keep a hold of the deep truths of the faith. So they are trustworthy in following the way as well. And in verses 11 to 13, we see the same idea that their faith influences their home life as well. So as they manage finances and distributing resources, people shouldn't be able to criticize them, but instead just be free to rejoice in the blessing that they as the church are providing. These qualities allow them to perform the mother's role. Okay, so generally that's, that's what the mother is supposed to do, her, her role, but we need to think as well about how she does that. How do these offices bless us. Let, let's think now about a mother's care. So, so look at this list again. One thing that you should notice when you read down them is that this is not about capacity, but about character. So generally what has been described here is a mature Christian. In fact, there's lots of commentators who will say that the most extraordinary thing about this list for elders is that it's not extraordinary at all. So apart from that bit about being able to teach, there's nothing there that we would, ex would not expect to see in every mature Christian. The, the capacity isn't out of this world, but the character is. 
the character of this person is one who has been shaped by the fruit of the Spirit with, with the added element of understanding the doctrine of truth that they are entrusted with. And so someone like this won't be able to stand around and just hear false teaching without stepping in. They will feel compelled to bring something like that to session, to care enough to confront someone who is going off the path, even if that person is uh, their minister or a fellow elder or a leader of an organization. One of the reasons why I am a Presbyterian Christian is that I've seen personally the abuse that happens when one guy just has all the power. What can go wrong when, when no one stands up to guard the truth, when that guy eventually goes off the rails? We've all seen it. It's devastating. The false teachers here were talking about myths and speculations, endless genealogies, meaning that they weren't holding fast to the faith that they had received. You know, that's a, that's a big temptation for us in the church today too. Because in our culture, new is always better. We want new things, new practices, fresh expressions. And often we aren't too concerned if it's what God desires or if it's just what we want. Just look at how far different denominations have wandered on current cultural issues. They didn't have godly leadership. Their mother was letting them play in traffic, caring more what the world thought of them than what was good for her children. What we should see here is that biblical elders and deacons care. They have conviction and will stand up for the truth so that the church maintains a purity of doctrine that keeps us on the narrow way. Now, we might not like that at times. We, we might see nothing wrong with playing in the traffic, but it's good to have a mother that cares. That's the, the protective element. But there's also a type of modeling that helps guide us to maturity. Noble mentioned it earlier. He even used the word integrity. And I'm sure we've all had many conversations with people who can tell us about their BB leader, their Sunday school teacher, an old minister, an elder, a friend, who just had something about them. And as that person invested in them they, they grew closer to christ paul basically lays out here that the solution to the false teachers is personal holiness in the true leaders it's showing people the right people to follow when you put the truth up against a lie it can then be easy to spot I was having a friendly discussion uh, with a close friend who said that Christian marriage was oppressive. And I could have taken the bait and we could have gone for a bit of a debate there, but it was far easier just to point to Jenny and, and ask him if she looked oppressed. Some of you are laughing because you know my wife and you know. <laughs> In a church where there are godly elders and deacons, where, where people can see the path to life, well, then the calls of the enemy are just far less attractive. The explanation of holy living is much easier to understand when it's fleshed out in front of us. And so the mother gives us an example of a better way to live. By raising up people with these qualifications to leadership, our mother protects us and guides us to maturity. One thing I'd love 
you to take away from this passage tonight is, is a deep appreciation for the church officers, an understanding of the roles of the elders and committee members so that you engage with them better. But I can sense as well that maybe some of us are a little bit anxious in our seats here. Maybe some of our elders are thinking, that doesn't describe me. But the point of this passage is not to say, go and be perfect. It's not for you to elders to, to feel uncomfortable with what you might be called to. The point of this passage is that we organize in a way that points us to God. We should look to our elders, look to these passages, not say, here's my failings. But we should look to it and see, these are the kind of people that God wants for us. This is the care that God wants us to receive. And so I want you to go away thinking, what does this passage tell us about God? What does it tell us about our Lord that he has given us this mother to protect us and guide us to maturity? How should this passage get us rejoicing? Well, the main thing I want you to note down is that it's quite clear here. God desires to bless us. He, he, can you see it? He wants to bring us to maturity. He wants to protect us. Isn't that amazing news? One trap we can fall into is misinterpreting 1 Corinthians 3.9 and thinking that, that we are God's co-workers as if we are partnering with God in, in some joint work, taking on part of his burden. When really the, the work is his. Paul might plant, Apollo might water, but the point is that they're not really doing anything. God brings the growth. Psalm 50 says this, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Or Psalm 116 says, how can I repay the Lord? Family, we need to remember that God doesn't need us. He doesn't require our worship here to make him feel better in some kind of way. Whatever that we can give to him is already his. But he gives us the church to bless us, to build us up. So that when we reach our final days, we can look back and rejoice in all that God has done for us. No matter what we do here, none of us will get to the throne room and say, say to the Lord, here, look at what I have done for you. Instead, we're going to get there weeping at the overwhelming goodness of God's blessings to us. Is that what you think about when you, when you think about God? That he is wanting to bless you? That he has set up ways and means to bring you to maturity and to protect you? That he has given you this mother to guide you? Do you look at God assuming that he wants the best for you? Or do you secretly think that he's a bit miserly? Sometimes we can come to church and think of it like a bit of a burden, like just another place where we have things to do, demands to be met. But in, in Ephesians, Paul explains how, how God has given us the institutional church to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. The church 
is a blessing, something to bring us to the fullness of Christ. The obligations that God puts on us here to, to come out in a cold night, they're not burdens, they're blessings. He has given us them because it is through those means that we come closer to him. This passage shows us that God is a God who wants to bless his people. He hasn't asked us to, to figure it out. He has given us the way in which he is going to make us more like Christ. And, and that's the gospel, isn't it? That, that we don't have to do anything. That, that God is drawing people to himself. That he has given us everything that we need to have a relationship with him and to grow in that love if we would just turn to him and trust in his ways. Our God is a God who draws people to himself who saves undeserving people and blesses them with a family, who adopts sinners, who is gentle and lowly. Think of the prostitute who washed his feet with her hair. She knew that her sins had been forgiven because of who Jesus was. Think of Mary and Martha, not told to, to busy themselves, but to sit at his feet and learn and be blessed. Think of each other. Look around at the family that God has given you. Look at the people who have blessed you, who have built you up, who you've learned from, who you've drawn from. Think of the word preached, the fact that we have the scriptures in our language Think of the freedom that we have here, that we can come and listen to even someone as, as incapable as me explaining what these things mean to us without fear of persecution. God is good to us. He wants to bless us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to heal the sick, to bless his people. This is, this is our God. This is what we see him set up here. He, he wants to bless us. And the way that he wants to bless us is by using the church as a mother to bring us into maturity in him. So what's our takeaway? Don't, don't just stand aloof. Don't hold back from membership or discipleship groups or community. Don't let sermons just wash over you or, or don't feel it's okay to just miss the sacraments. Don't ignore your elders and deacons because even if we don't understand it, God desires to bless us abundantly through his church. And so when we look at the institution of the church, we need to see that it is what God has done. God has called and raised up leaders. How God has put in place these things for our benefit. God desires to bless us and bring us into closer relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, this passage should reveal to us God's heart for his people. He doesn't want to see us scattered as sheep without a shepherd. And he wants us to see how he blesses us. He wants us to see how he cares for us. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, Be Thou My Vision. And part of what we mean when we sing that is that, that God would open our eyes to his truth, that we would see his hand and actions at work and know that we have a good God. And so as we sing, as we 
pray that God takes up all our vision. Know that this is a prayer that God is answering. That God wants us to see him like that. That God wants us to come to know him more and more deeply and that the work that he is at work blessing us through his church, through our mother, so that we will rejoice in all the grace that he has shown us.